We're going to be in 2 Timothy just like we originally planned. And kudos to Paul who's making the same kind of audible I am. And uh, if the slides get out of sync, just, just, we're just going to go with this and do the best we can because we still have God to honor. And there's something very important that's happening here. Um, even if your heart is broken, I looked around and I saw people in the middle of the song just quit. I saw some of you weep in the middle of it. That's okay. That's all part of what we're doing here today. Um, and we're not denying that we're hurting. We're just singing through it. That's kind of what life is. And so this service today has been an example of what worship is. As Terry started, he made sure to thank God first, no matter how bad things are. And we've got Pansy Shipman who's here, and I admire her presence. I know she's overwhelmed. I know she's overwhelmed. She's here anyway. She's gathered around a bunch of people that are loving her back there. And she's here, and I know she needs something. I know, I know, I know those of us who, who feel deeply grieved, we need something here today. But, but in all of this, and in, in, in all the, the grief, there's still gratitude. And I want you to know, Scripture says, be grateful in all things. So we're modeling that today. And I hope you see that, and I hope you college students see that. We're going to be thankful because that's what... That's what God's people do, even in the midst of this stuff. You can do it all at once. The human heart is capable of a bunch of different emotions all at once, and we're showing you that. We gathered around a table, and it was more important than normal because I'm saying today, death is not the end, and how do I know that? How do I know that death's not the end? It's because of what we did when we gathered around this table this morning. We took that cup, and we're saying to ourselves, the death of Jesus made our death so, so much less heavy. We needed to hear that this morning. You just need to be reminded of that. These reminders, so we're in 2 Timothy, the last words of Paul. Paul knew he was dying. He knew this was it. These were the last days of his life and his final words and constantly in this book what he says, I remind you, I remind you, I remind you. I'm not telling you anything new, Timothy. We've been together, we've worked together, we, we, we've been through the gospel, you've heard me preach it a billion times, you know it as well as I do, and you're preaching it where you are, but what you need is not something new, you just need a reminder, and can I tell you what we're here for this morning? We're here so that we remind each other of some stuff. We're reminding each other, and this morning, every Sunday morning we need to be reminded, every Sunday, but this Sunday morning... This Sunday morning, you really need to remind yourself, and what I'm appreciating about what Paul's doing here is if you have anxiety, one of the things that you have to do is you start, you, you got to start using your brain to fight against those feelings that are irrational. You have to start telling yourself the truth when your brain is lying to you and when the world is lying to you. And the way you fight off anxiety is remind yourself of what you believe. You know how you fight off grief and the, de the deep weight of it? By reminding yourself of what you know to be true, even though it doesn't feel like it right now. Reminders are e the key to everything. Anxiety, grief, fear, arrogance. When you start thinking, I can live life by myself and I can handle this and I got life under control, hey, you better start talking to yourself because that's not true. That's not true. And you'll start believing all the lies of the world. They're telling you all sorts of things about what major you should have. Make sure you make the money. Make sure that you got to, and those, those things right there, nothing wrong with them, but they can be lies if they're driving you and they're the only voice. We need reminders all the time. And so this morning, I'm gonna, we're going to talk about this. Why, why do we need reminders? Why did God make sure that he said every first day of the week, I want you coming together. I want you to remind each other. I want you to come up that hill, and I want you to remind each other. And here's why. Here's one reason why. There's a gap between knowing 
and doing. There's a gap between knowing and doing. And I can, I can illustrate this best with marriage, especially wives. Wives, how many times have you had to tell your husband 13 times what you needed him to do? Anybody ever do that? It's called nagging a lot. A lot of people say just nag, nag, nag. Well, here's the theory, though. She'll start telling you something she's told you a billion times, and you go, I know, I know. But here's the thing, guys. You knowing is not what she wants. She wants you to do something. And until you get to do, your knowing means nothing. And by the way, at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says the same thing. You know the difference between the wise man and the foolish man? They both heard, didn't they? They both heard. They both knew what Jesus said. Knowledge is not the issue. And most times in the Christian faith, and even in the world, what they think about the Christian faith, knowledge is not the issue. It's just a gap between knowing and actually doing. We've got a lot of knowers. We've got a lot of people who can tell you what the Scripture says. The problem is when they go out, they treat people terribly. It's like, where did your knowledge go? There's a gap between what you know and what you do. And do you know what our job is to do along that continuum? Is to keep reminding you until you finally do. And I'm going to keep reminding you, and I promise young people, all your life you're going to be reminded every Sunday you come up here. And you're going to say, I didn't learn anything new. You weren't supposed to. You're just being reminded. You college folks. I don't know whether you went to church where you go or you're just visiting us. It doesn't matter to me, but I want to promise you this. We're going to remind you of the truth every time you come here. We're going to remind you what's true because we're going to try to offset the lies of the world. And same for all of us, every one of us. This is what we're doing. We're being reminded because there's a gap between knowing and doing, and knowing is not enough. And we in churches of Christ have mastered knowing, but for some reason we don't get ourselves completely down to doing. And that's where our problem lies, right, is knowing is only part of it. Doing is when you become wise and build your house on that foundation so that when the storms come, and I promise you from this week, the storms will come. And if you want to be ready for them, don't just know, I know, I know. That's not the point. Are you doing? That's why you need reminders. Second reason is the world lulls us into distancing us from the truth. The world just lulls us into forgetting. Consider Demas a co-worker of Paul that he was high on before, even in 1 Timothy, right? Demas, in love with the present world, has deserted me. He was working with Paul. He was preaching with Paul. He was missionarying, missionarying, missioning, whatever with Paul. And then he becomes enamored again with the law of the world, and it sucks him in, and he is gone. How many people do you know that does that describe? Here's how he describes the world, and this is chapter 3. Mark this. Paul says, I want you to remember this, Timothy. Now, he already told him this in 1 Timothy a couple of times, and here he is telling him again. Timothy just needs to hear this. There will be terrible times in the last days. Other versions say, there, other versions say it will get very difficult. People will be lovers of themselves. People in the world are all in love with themselves and they'll do anything for themselves. They will Lovers of money, they'll be greedy, and anything I can get more, get more, get more, and, they, and they, they aren't giving to other people. They're boastful, they're proud, it's all about me, it's all about me. And abusive, and they'll use other people for their own sake. They will be disobedient to their parents, or let's put in there, disobedient to authority, because it's all about me, baby, it's all about me. They're ungrateful, they're unholy. 
They're without love. They're unforgiving. They're slanderous. They say all sorts of things. They don't care whether it's true or not. They don't have self-control at all. They're brutal. They're lovers of the good. They're treacherous. They're rash. They're conceited. They're lovers of pleasure. Anything that makes me feel good and, and, and I enjoy, I don't care what God says. Is that not the world we live in? That's exactly the world we live in. And Paul says it's going to get more and more predominant. Now, why does he tell him this? Why is he describing this? So we can bash the world? No. No, it's not so we can bash the world. But he says in verse 10 then, he says, But you, you, however, know about my teaching. You don't live that way. You don't think that way. You don't act that way. The reason he tells us about the power of the world is because we're going to be prone to, uh, prone to uh, uh, letting it in us. We're tempted by it. Guys, when we get together as a church, I'm noticing this. There's a little bit of world in us when we get together. As a youth group, I see the world a little bit. As, as adults, I see the world a little bit. We, we bring the world into us. And we've... It, there's no other way around it. We live in the world, and we love the world, and we want to reach the world, but we can't be like the world, and yet the world shows up in us sometimes, and we've got to hate that, and we've got to resist that, and we've got to fight that, and we've got to don't let the world cause you to drift away from the truth because we are supposed to live a different way. You, however, church, you know what Paul preached. You know how he lived. You know what his goal in life was. <coughs> Excuse me. And that's how we live. The world will lull us if we're not careful. And that's why we remind each other. Here's three tests he gives. I'm just going through this real quick about how you can tell the world is getting to you. And you all, the world gets to every one of us. So I'm not saying that some of you are prone to it and some of us. We live in the world. We were raised in the world. We're affected by the world. Test number one, if you're more prone to be ashamed of the faith rather than suffer for it, the two positions are in this world, you will suffer if you hold on to faith, or you will back down from faith and live like the world. Those are the two options. Do you see yourself backing down more than you see yourself suffering? Do you notice that you stay quiet when you should speak up? Do you notice when you could you, you notice when you should feel a little heat by saying, I'm not going to do that, y'all. You guys can do that, but I, you're unwilling to go there, and so you kind of shrink back and hide it under a bushel. Do you, do you see yourself doing that some? If you do, that's the world sneaking in. That's test number one. Test number two is this. You're listening to things that resonate with your humanity rather than the truth. I want you to listen to this. I don't know if did I put that on the screen. I did not. Chapter four. I charge you, talking to Timothy, uh, in the presence of God in Christ Jesus, who's the judge of the living and the dead and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word, be ready in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. I would rather hear something other than the truth because I like it better. And so I will watch movies that have no truth in it. I will listen to music with no truth in it. I would rather listen to that than to hear the abrasive, sandpaper-like, sometimes, truth. You have a chance to hear something that's true and wholesome, but you prefer something else because it's much more palatable. The world is lulling you. And there's a third one that he mentions. You would rather separate yourselves from those trying to be holy and prefer the company 
of people who aren't. I'm not saying you can't hang out with people. You need to in the world. You need to hang out with people who don't believe like you because you're trying to woo them to the faith. You're trying to attract them to the faith. But when your most influential relationships, you prefer to be around people who do not care about holiness, you are distancing yourself and the world is lulling you to And it's because of that that a weekly reminder is so critical. So there's a difference between knowing and doing The world is lulling us. And there's a third reason we need reminders is that life will throw us curves and challenges. Paul is more human in 2 Timothy than any other letter. He says things about a family whose husband, the, the head of the family died and he's lamenting it. He left a co-worker sick, and he didn't know how that, that co-worker was faring, and it was weighing on his heart in chapter 4. He had fellow believers drift away from the faith, like Demas we mentioned a moment ago. And then, and then he had to stand. He had to stand and defend himself, and he said, There was nobody with me. Everybody deserted me. I was completely alone. You ever felt lonely like that? These experiences like that will shake you. These experiences will You'll go through a time where every, you start doubting what you know to be true. The darkness gets so dark. There's a lot of you older folks that will say, I don't like driving at night anymore. I understand because you can't see as clearly in the dark. And sometimes in life it's like that. It gets a little dark in your life, and there are things happening to you, and shrouded in fog and darkness in your life. I don't know any truth. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. But it's a little harder to conjure it up. A little harder to remind yourself. Today's one of those. It's just a little harder. You, you might get that call. It says, uh, there's cancer in this test. And you might suddenly be at the ER when you had plans all that day to do something totally different. And then you're at the ER and your husband has gone. Those things will rattle you like nothing else. And they will shake you. And the point is, you better have a foundation at that moment and start reminding yourself and last night in the only prayer I could muster with Judy and those in the room God there's a lot of confusion here and I don't understand you I don't understand I'll tell you this when you've got a good Bible class teacher adult Bible class teacher and you have a hard time filling those posts and you've got a really good one and then God doesn't prevent him from dying early I'm a little frustrated by that what kind of work how's this going to help the kingdom God how's this going to how's this going to really help it makes no sense to me. And that's where my anger starts coming in here, right? That's my natural bent. And I've got to start working on that. I'm, I'm doing therapy right here as, as we're standing here because I'm telling you, I've got to get those truths in my head. I've got to start working, guys. But if those truths aren't in your head, they can't become remi- <coughs> reminders for you. <coughs> so what do you need a reminder for? <coughs> Reminder number one of two of them that I can see in 1 Timothy that really pertain to us now is one, do not lose confidence in the Word of God. It is old. It's not new. It's not updated. It's not refreshed. It's old, old words. We sing that song, ancient words. These are old words. And in a world that's skeptical of anything old, they they look at the church like, you're some antiquated people still trying to live off an old book. 
And sometimes we feel that way. Sometimes we start wondering, is this really true? Do I need to? The world is living like this, and it seems to work out okay with them. And we're saying, no, you shouldn't do that. It's not healthy for you. And we're like, how can that be? It sure looks okay to me from out here. These people living any way they want to. And this is a a classic problem of the book of Psalms and Job and other places. It just doesn't look like the Bible's true. Do not lose confidence that this word is the absolute words of God and you can trust them to be true anytime you remind yourself of them. I want to take you, join me, 2 Timothy chapter 1. This is really good for this morning, so listen carefully. 2 Timothy verse 1. Paul, knowing that Timothy's going to face the same persecutions that he did, he says, therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. Share in it. Whatever the repercussions of you being faithful in a world that doesn't care about your faith, whatever those repercussions are, they're worth it. Don't back down. He saved us. He called us to this holy calling, not because of, because of our words, works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. God purposed us for this. Now listen, it's now been manifested. We see it now. They were looking for it in the Old Testament. We see it now through the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have a clear vision. We get to see it. We get to look back on Jesus and know exactly what was going on. Now listen, which has now been manifested through the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who abolished death. Old Testament believers had no idea what happened after death. None of them. They had a suspicion, but there was no clear teaching about what happens after death. Do you know what happens after death, church? You know what happens after death? Does God still have you? Is there life after this? Is there something more to all this? You better be nodding your head, because sometimes that's the only thing that's going to keep your sanity. You better nod your head. That's what the gospel's about gospel where Jesus said, I'm going to overcome and be a victory over death. I want you to know we're over death, but that's not, listen to the rest of it. Abolish death brought life and immortality to light to the gospel. What happens after all this? The gospel tells us you are raised from the dead and you go to live with God forever and eternity together with all the faithful. We now know (coughs) there is immortality and we only know it, (coughs) excuse me, because of grace and because of the gospel. We're not making this stuff up. Jesus demonstrated it, ushered us in to see it, and that's the gospel we preach. And that's the gospel this morning, you better believe. And that's the only hope we have right now for those of you in those utter ultimate moments. That's the hope that you have, and that's all you need. For which I was appointed a preacher and a herald. Now let's keep preaching this, keep reading this, which is why I suffer as I do. But I am not ashamed. I know whom I have believed and, I believed, and I am convinced he's able to guard until that day what he's entrusted to me. I think what Paul is saying here is, I believe God will back it up with his entire being and integrity. He can be trusted with every word he says. We must not lose confidence in this word. And he describes it two ways in this book. We're just going to look at the pattern of sound words, he says in verse 13 of chapter 1, and then God breathed. These are actual words of God. It's almost like you can smell God's breath when you read his word. He's actually speaking to you, and therefore it's useful for correction, training, and righteousness, and all the instruction you want. 
So here's the moral of that story. As we get together and you go to Bible class, and as we get together and we sing words of Scripture to tunes, and then as we hear the Word of God preached in sermons, and the reason why you don't hear pop psychology or the latest report from some kind of study book, the reason why we preach only the Word is because that is the eternal, everlasting, always valid Word of God that gives us light for darkness, and when the darkness hits, you will thank God for the light. That's why. If you hear a sermon that's about some pop psychology or 10 things to make your marriage better, but it has no word in it, it has no power in it, no backing of God's integrity. And we're going to preach that word. We're going to remind you every week whenever you are, are feeling, when you're feeling down on yourself and that, that anxiety, and I'm not worth anything, there are words of Scripture that need to come in your head. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. You are made in the image of God. You are to bring Him glory, and you can, and you will, as you live for Him. These are things to combat that self-denying, that beating up of your self-worth. You need to say it. <coughs> and the other thing to be reminded of. Don't lose confidence in the fellowship. Don't lose confidence in each other. So I guess it was Thursday, visiting Pansy at her house. She was doing what godly women do. She was watching the Cardinal game. It was a game when Pujols hit a grand slam and we both watched it. She must have had that thing at full blast because I heard it and I think everybody on the street heard it. Are you deaf? Anyway, I got to hear it like in stereo and all. And then Lars Newtbar made this amazing diving catch and we had it on mute and she said, let's turn that on. Well, yeah, let's turn that on. But she was suspicious that this report was not going to come back well. And so I'm on my way to see my parents on Friday and I get a call from another one of the ladies and she says the report wasn't good. And she said, me and I think she named three or four others are going to go get some barbecue. We're going to spend the day with her. What do you do without fellowship like that? What do you do without the Stidmans? What would Judy do without the Stidmans at the ER? Stayed up there till late, 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 late. Where do you get people like that? It's, it's the fellowship. And we are imperfect. I promise you all hear two or three stories this week of how we let this person down and let this person down. Sometimes we didn't hear carefully. Sometimes we didn't pay attention properly. That's all true. We are not perfect, and we fail each other almost as much as we succeed. But once in a while, y'all, we get this right, and it's a glorious, wonderful thing, and you need it. And when you need it bad, you get it. And when you get it when you need it bad, it's amazing. Don't lose confidence in this fellowship. It's for worship. We get together and we're singing to each other truths today. And while you're crying and singing at the same time, or, or, or when you're just, you just have to stop and you're thinking about these heavy thoughts that are on your mind, even in the middle of worship, God's not offended by that. You brought it all with you when you came. And we brought it and we shared it. And I'm not going to be ashamed to cry in front of you if that's what I feel like. And I think in the church we need to. Don't stay away when you're hurting. That's crazy. That's crazy. Come, even when you're hurting, because you need the fellowship. That's when you rely on it. And in this letter, you see different things. You see Paul saying to Timothy, there's so many people, community involved in, Paul's life, in Timothy's life. He says, first of all, I pray for you all the time. Chapter 1, verse 3. Can I tell you this? I've told you before. I've got a slideshow of every one of you who remembers or I see constantly here. Go through that every week, and I look at your face, your family, and 
There's a prayer uttered for you, and you know what? I'm not near the only one. You're not living this life by yourself, and even when I don't say anything to you or when, I, when you're not hearing it from other people, it's being done. And I want you to know prayer is helping you. I want you to know we're going to fan into flame the gift that you have. God's given you a gift, and you need to use it. And this church, I pray, we can discover what your gift is and put you to work for the benefit of the whole church, chapter 1, verse 7. We're going to warn each other when we see the world showing up in each other's lives. When I see the world in you, and I'm worried and I'm fretful about that, I'm going to go to you and I'm going to share it with you. And then look at this verse that was read earlier. We're going to pursue holiness together because we all need it. The next screen, I think, has this verse. Flee the evil desires of youth, pursue righteousness, faith, and love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. We're not asking college students to come here and live their life as lone rangers. They're coming here to pursue a common goal that every one of us has, and we're all walking that road, and we're walking it together, giving each other strength, and we're going to help you because we've got some experience, and you've got some that we don't. We'll remind you also of the ultimate goal that we have. Chapter 4, verse 8, I think it's on the screen as well. Now there is in store for me, Paul says, I know I'm about to die. There's in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. And not only to me, but also to Mac and everybody else who longs for that appearing. This is why we do what we do. Now, it almost sounds like it would be out of place for college students and young people. But listen, if you're a freshman, you already have this list in your major of every credit you need to be able to graduate four years from now. You better look at four years from now when you're planning out your freshman year. You better if you wanna graduate. And then as you're, if you're working at anything, they're gonna have some kind of retirement plan, so a little bit of your money, a little bit of the money you make at your job is gonna be put into a fund that you won't see for the next 50 years. That may be a little depressing to you, but, but you've got wisdom to know that I hope to live that to that 50 years, and I, I want to be sure that, that we have the means then, right? So you're already doing this, but here's the biggest thing. I don't care what your major is. I don't care what your job ends up being. You need to be on a trajectory that ends up in eternity with God, and that's our number one goal for you. And if there's anything that distracts you, even in this four years that you're here as a college student, that would threaten or jeopardize that, we are going to remind you. We are going to tell you that ain't worth it. And one last thing, share life and experiences. All the way through this letter, Paul reminds Timothy of the times they shared to motivate within him this goal of remembering. I hope for the rest of your life, it was here that I had the pictures of Mitchell and Lori and Tara and Jeremy and Paul and Kim Ryan and Casey, their families, I had pictures to let you know that you're going to be in their houses and you're going to be doing all sorts of goofy things with these people. And it's going to be things that you look back on for the rest of your life that regenerates your faith. But those things can't come back up as reminders if they never happened in the first place. You're going to have some cool experiences, and the college probably is the most active group we've got, college and junior, and junior high and high school. And those events and experiences are going to root you forever and be the glue that keeps you in the faith because of all those wonderful experiences you have, but you've got to have them first, and you've got to come here to be part of it. So this morning, like every Sunday morning, we need to remind each other of what's true. The world beats us up all week, and we're so prone to giving into it and becoming like them and letting hold, giving up a hold of the gospel, right? And so every week we need these reminders, but this morning, 
more than most mornings, we need to remind each other of what's true. Emotions a bit out of whack and things in the dark look different than they do in the light. But what is true in the light is true even in the dark. And you hang on even when you can't see them. And we will, we will hang on to them even though we can't see them. And we'll hang on together. And when you start to let, hold, let go, we'll reach out and grab a little high, tighter. These are the reminders I think we need. Don't lose confidence in the word and don't lose confidence in the fellowship you keep hold both hands of both of those and you will make it to that reward day and that's the goal we all have this morning if you have any needs in your life spiritually that can be helped with this congregation in a way that you come forward there's a lot of things you'd never need to come forward for that maybe there's things you need to go sideways for you need to reach out and find someone to pray with or, or just reconcile with. Do it whatever direction you need to. But if there's something we as a church can help you with this morning, make it known as we stand and as we sing.